It's Why ridiculous. Why am I so? I'm like so, you're I, like a, very mad at Special K today. <laughs> I hate Special K. It's the second time <laughs> I've been like Special K. I know. I'm Nina, and I'm Liz. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a bottle of wine and some thoughts. If you're looking for honest musings on life, happiness, health, and wellness, you've come to the right place. We'll even throw in a couple off-the-wall jokes, some personal stories, and of course, some shenanigans. So grab a glass of wine and join the conversation. Hello, Wine and Shiners. We are back on a tornado-free day. Yes. That's going to come into play later in the episode. You'll, You'll see why soon. We are here today talking with Holly Lowry of the Well and Weird podcast. And oh my gosh, we covered so many great things today. We talk about eating disorder recovery and disordered eating, intuitive eating, health at every size. Yeah. Just a general lovely conversation about finding love for your body, finding health no matter where you fall on the weight spectrum and embracing exactly who you are and who you're supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. It is a conversation that I think a lot of women need to have and that a lot of women are afraid to have because we've been so programmed to think we need to look a certain way or we need to eat a certain way. And that's just not the case. And we talk a lot about the book Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon. I actually own it. It's a great book. I'm still working my way through, but there's a lot of scientific evidence and backing behind the fact that we can be healthy at every size. And we dive um, into some of those things in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So enough yammering here on our ends. Let's get into this well and weird episode with Holly Lowry. All right, Holly. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's so great to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I feel like this has been a long time coming because we've had a tornado. Oh my gosh, that's time we tried to record. The last time we tried to record, it was like literally a tornado had touched down 30 minutes south of Columbus. And we were running back and forth. I was like running back to my apartment to go get my dog. It was crazy. There were final clouds in the sky. We had to cancel. And I feel like there was another reason we had to cancel before that one. I feel like the other one was my fault or well not fault, but like my <laughs> schedule. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so yeah. I had like a ton of but, stuff going. Like I think you were getting ready for like a big something. something. Yeah. I, I think, think you know what it was? It was Nita Week. It was National Eating Disorder right. Awareness Week. And oh, so I yeah. had like eight bajillion events that week and I was like, I just can't. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. You totally have to be it. on your mental game when you're podcasting. If you are yeah. tired, fatigued at all, it's hard to like carry conversation, which I typically have show choir on Wednesdays before recordings, but show choir is over. Thank the Lord. And so I'm just like all full of energy on this Wednesday for once. Well, I love it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, oh, no, oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny when I think of Columbus or just Ohio in general, I don't usually think of like ter- tornado territory. Yeah. I know it's so like Kansas. I can't even imagine being there and being like, oh, I guess this is the thing now that we have to <laughs> Be cautious of. <laughs> well, I feel like I've never, knock on wood, I've never been in a situation where there was a tornado that close nearby. Because you're right. You're like, oh, we're in Ohio. It's always we're safe. Like, it's always over there. Yeah, it's <laughs> always like warning and far away. Right. And again, knock on wood, like, hope that's always the case. There was one time in college, freshman year, Liz, I don't know if you remember, we lived on the top floor of DK. And there was 
like legitimately a tornado touched down and all of us were freaking out. In Westerville, like in the city that we go to college, went to college. And so maybe maybe Ohio is more tornado prone than we think. (laughs) Hopefully we won't have that issue again for any future recordings. So I'm happy to be here finally. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Same. Um, Talk to our listeners a little bit about you and your story and um, how you came to doing the work that you do. Sure. Oh, where to start? So my name's Holly, Holly Lowry. I am a podcaster. I am an eating disorder recovery coach. I am a um, anti-diet advocate and all things to do with you know, that and health at every size and intuitive eating. Um, I also work as an educator for a nonprofit called Ophelia's Place, where we connect people who are struggling with disordered eating, eating disorders, and body dissatisfaction to resources to help them heal. So I do a lot in the world of healing what I like to refer to as food and body weirdness. Because I know myself, when I was struggling, I never, ever, ever identified with having an eating disorder Mm -hmm. because I learned in school that you know, it was almost like an equation of X plus Y equals eating disorder. And if you didn't fit into that equation, you don't, you don't have one. And I never could fathom just like using anorexia, for example, I was taught in school that anorexia was just like somebody who didn't eat at all, who chose not to eat. They never really talked about the connection between dieting and anorexia. They never talked about the connection between body image struggles and anorexia. I mean, maybe a little, but not enough to really say like, hey, body image is one of the, is like literally the number one predictor for the development of anorexia. So I just, I think I and and most of us just didn't and don't still have that much awareness around what exactly an eating disorder is and and the fact that it's not black and white. And so mm-hmm. that's why I like to call it food and body weirdness because for me like I'd never identified with having a disorder, but I felt I knew something was off and I had felt that way for almost ever. Mm-hmm. So I I I'm going to try to not be too long-winded about no, my story because I know I have a ton to talk stories. about. And I feel like I tell it all the time, but... <laughs> but not maybe not to <laughs> our not listeners. To yeah. yeah. So I guess I always like to start my story by saying, I think it's important to note that my story isn't that crazy. It's not that special. I think it's unique to me and it made me the person I am. And it's allowed me to contribute to the world in this really special way. But what I mean by the fact that it's not special is that it happens to so many women and, and increasingly young men. And it's just so normalized by our culture. And Mm -hmm. so I grew up in a really loving household. My parents were split, but I feel like most people's are. (laughs) Maybe that's a generalization. But even still, like I was super close to my mom and not super close to my dad. But, you know, when we saw each other, everything was all good. And so I didn't feel like I had this awful upbringing. I really never experienced any sexual trauma or verbal abuse or any kind of abuse for that matter. But I always felt like there was something wrong with my body. And I think I developed this fear around fatness because I come from a long line of farmers and everybody in my family is, you know, white and also like Irish roots. So everybody's pretty like solid, hearty. sturdy. <laughs> yeah, we're just hearty people. <laughs> I also but, come from hearty stock. Yeah, hearty yeah. stock. Like, if you think about it, like that's pretty fucking cool. If yeah. You swear. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty cool now, but growing up, you know, you see teeny tiny women on magazine covers. And I remember, and it's funny, I was actually talking about this earlier today. I remember those commercials where the women are like, 
super tiny and they're holding these gigantic pairs of pants out from their body. And yes. I'm saying, this is how much weight I lost. Yes. Where they're and like so I, standing in one leg and then holding it out. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And like also, it's so stupid that I and most, uh, I don't think most people fell for it, but like some people do. Like, you know, it, but so I think the reason I bring that up is because we've been sold since forever that if we live in a larger body, we should be trying to make it smaller. And so I developed this fear around fatness and gaining weight because, you know, even though, I think about it now and my grandparents for the most part are like pretty healthy people. And especially like on my dad's side, you know, my grandfather's like in his eighties and just like crushing it, like golfing every day. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> my, grandma's, my grandma's like 82 and also crushing it. She's like 100% Italian off the boat, like in her garden all the time, like pulling yeah. weeds. Like grandma, you've got this. Like <laughs> I love watching. I love watching that. It makes my heart so happy. Yeah. I'm like, I want that. Yeah. But, you know, um, I also saw some on my mom's side more, like some just nervousness around heart disease and cholesterol and diabetes and all that stuff, which is, you know, valid. We're still trying to figure out how to, you know, best combat that because it can be fatal. But I always equated from that moment on this idea that the fat itself, the living in a larger body was the cause Mm. of those health complications. And, you know, so for me, that really contributed to this fear around, I must not gain weight. If I gain weight, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to die. I'm also never going to fall in love. I'm also never going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And saying those things out loud sounds silly, but those are the like the beliefs that are ingrained in us because we constantly absorb this messaging. And so I, you know, through middle school, high school, I always felt like I was the quote, like bigger friend or chubbier friend. Looking back, that's just silly. It was just puberty. And I think it's also important to note, which again, isn't talked about enough, that we have to gain weight, especially in the beginning parts of puberty, because our bodies are changing and they need those stores and that fuel to make all the magic that they're making in that development and transformation, especially as women. We're literally like building a reproductive system. Right, yeah. we're brilliant and magical beings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I just thought, you know, yes, I know I'm going through puberty, but I, like none of my friends are as big as I am. There's got to be something wrong. I was the chubby friend too. I was also. So I didn't even realize until like I got into this line of work and started hearing people's stories like yours and Liz's and Simi's that, that that is very common. Like you said, it's very average. I don't think girls understand how average it was. Like I was like, oh my gosh. Because you feel like the outside, the, yes, the outsider and the person that has the problem. Right. Exactly. When you look at I mean, really, all those girls just had very different genetics than I do. I just remember, Fine. sorry to interrupt. I just remember like being jealous that my friend could eat all of the Doritos and Ho-Hos and Twinkies. <laughs> and I was like, why can't? And like my parents like wouldn't let me eat that stuff. Like that was another side of things, you know, because they're trying to keep you healthy. And then I was like a little heavier than my friends. And I was like, well, I just want to eat Doritos and Ho-Hos and Twinkies like my friend Bailey. <laughs> like, but yeah, I have a very similar memory of that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and when you're that young, like even if you try to have a conversation about like, oh, we're all feeling this way. Like we are just not cognitively there yet, nor do I, nor do I think we have the guidance. At least I think we're getting there with like teachers getting on on board with health at every size slowly, but surely. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, back then, not that it was that long ago, but it was at least 
oh my God, almost 15 years. Nobody, no adults were even having these conversations about like health at every size or body acceptance or the fact that most of the time the way our bodies look is just literally due to our genetic, our genetic blueprint, right? So even if we had had those conversations as young girls amongst each other, like it probably would have led to, you know, not a healthy conversation, but more of just like, let's all loathe our bodies together. Mm -hmm. I I don't know anybody that an adult figure that would have told me health at every size or that Mm -hmm. would have told me like genetically your body is supposed to look like this and you're still healthy. I can't think of one person that would have told me that. I think my parents tried to do some of that. I think they did a good job trying to, I don't think that was the exact message. I remember my dad was like telling me things like, you know, in the Greek times, like if a woman was fuller, like that was the ideal, like that, it changes over history. And I'm like, now I look back, I'm like, dad, that was really sweet. See, I love- By the time I was like, you don't understand, I'm fat. (laughs) I love my parents so much. Like I do, they're wonderful, wonderful people, but they very much like are hard on themselves for any weight gain. And it's not like, it's not healthy if you have any extra weight. And so I grew up, I grew up with that message, like very, very clearly. So I've had to pull down a lot of blocks that I've had in that realm. Yeah. Well, and it it is, it's like a, it's like a reparenting almost to Mm -hmm. ourselves that we do through this process of learning to accept our bodies. And it's almost like we have to speak to ourselves, like we're children again, of like, it's okay that your body looks different. It's okay to take up space. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have these cravings and to honor them. If you're craving the Doritos, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it really is a, a an act of just being gentle towards ourselves like we would towards a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, then through high school, I went vegetarian because one of my good friends was vegetarian and she was like so small, so small. And again, it's about the weight. Like, right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, she was actually severely struggling with an eating disorder mm-hmm. and ended up going into treatment. But I didn't see that as a sign, nor did <laughs> anyone else, that we should maybe have a conversation about this. And so, you know, from there, my body did change. I did lose weight. And I always hesitate to, to say that because I don't want people to think that vegetarianism, vegetarianism is a recipe for losing weight because it's not necessarily. For me, I think it wasn't the vegetarianism. It was just the fact that I was like severely restricting food in general because mm-hmm. I cut out a whole bunch of food groups. I believe that uh, with all all different food diets because I'm a big like eat what works for your body, not the diet. And a lot of people are very are, like clung or cling to the fact that like this diet made me lose weight. But it's almost like how much were you restricting though? Right. Like what was right. it the diet or was it all of the other things you weren't allowing yourself to consume? Right, right. And, and that's, it brings up such a good point too, in that like, just because my body changed and I lost weight doesn't mean I was any healthier. Exactly. <laughs> yep. 100%. And that, yeah. And that just led to this like, you know, kind of downhill momentum from there. I got into college and I I'm like always the one who wants to hang out with a weird kid. So <laughs> all my friends were like super into sustainability <laughs> and what's that? That made me think of Liz. Like I feel like you That's always like, had some friends where I was like, you like the weird friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it always ends up, I think that the weird people tend to be like the way more fun ones. Totally. Yeah, no, like totally. Letting their freak flags fly. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> You know, everybody was, you know, very into sustainability or health or was vegan or, you know, they they were all... And not to say that any of those things are bad, but I, being stuck in that black and white thinking, 
took some of those cues and kind of ran with them and, and use them to manipulate my body even further. And at first it was guised under the health umbrella. It of, always oh, is. <laughs> yeah, I'm cutting out X, Y, and Z because I just want to get healthy and right. I'm working out and running X amount of miles a day, even though I hate running, um, because I want to get healthy. And it wasn't until I went and uh, lived in New York for a summer while I was interning and I was by myself. So it's it's a lot easier to fall even deeper into disordered behaviors when you're by yourself Mm because nobody's there to call you out. And at that point, my friends had brought it up to me, but I just had, I didn't want to hear it. And I was being super stubborn and just distanced myself even further. So I felt super alone. And, you know, not that I blame myself, but it was all kind of my own doing. You know, I think our friends do the best they can to help us and to support mm-hmm. us and to try and pull us out of those things. But nobody knows what to say or do in that mm-hmm. situation, right? And they've also got their own shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they're struggling with. Right. So I was trying like every diet under the sun. I tried like every different variation of veganism and to the point where I was like, it, like I remember. So I worked at Brooklyn Brewery for a summer. And uh, we had all gone out to lunch and I was at the time like eating a raw vegan diet. Mm. And I brought a container of like eight raw bananas and just like proceeded to eat them while everyone else was eating pizza. And I was like, this, like, what are these people thinking right mm-hmm. now? And and that wasn't even like the end of that, but it was one of those big signs of like, do I want to be do I want to be doing this? Like, this is ridiculous. I struggle with that <laughs> Actually now. ridiculous. <laughs> I struggle with that now because I, and I'm getting a lot better, which is when I know, Liz, like legit had a dream. What was your dream about me, Liz? I dreamed that you would only eat food if it had been prepared by monks. Yeah, this was her dream. And so I made her a piece of toast with butter in a hotel room. I don't know why we were in a hotel room. (laughs) And I was making you a toast. And you were like, that butter wasn't churned by monks. And And I was like, this has gone on far enough, Nina. (laughs) But it made me think that like some (laughs) dreams come from somewhere. Like, do I get a little bit excessive about things? I mean, like, obviously I'm not like only eating butter churned by monks. But (laughs) um, I struggle with that even now because I do try and, and eat mindfully and healthfully. And sometimes if I'm in a situation and I don't do gluten very often or dairy very often, but I'm starving, it's like, okay, if these things aren't going to kill me, like I should eat them. And so I've, I've caught myself where I'm out with people and I'm like, should I pack my own food or should I do this? And I think, I think that there's ways to do that from a healthy place. And then there's ways when you realize mm, it's fear-based. Yeah. It's more fear-based. And I, I have to catch myself. Like I have to say, is this fear-based or is this coming from a healthy place? Mm, yeah. And, and I love the fact that we are so complex as humans and that we have these incredible minds that can, you know, kind of separate our, our souls from our thoughts, our egoic mm-hmm. thoughts. But sometimes it gets so jumbled. It's really hard to tell. Is this fear-based? Is this because I want to be healthy? Is yeah. this because I'm, you know, it's like, it truly takes a tuning back into your body and then being able to recognize, well, like, what's my body saying exactly. to me, Right. And unfortunately, like dieting and diet culture in general teaches us not to trust our bodies. It teaches us to rely on external cues, like literally just different rules about what, when, or how much to eat. It teaches us to rely on, you know, the time on the clock versus what our bellies are telling us. It teaches us to rely on 
you know, so-and-so smoothie recipe with all these crazy superfoods instead of listening to, I just really want some eggs and bacon and toast this morning, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's really this re, again, it's kind of reparenting, but relearning how to trust our bodies and how to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I forget even kind of what was the aha moment for me. I think it was more of a slow progression, which I think is important to note too. Like I, I so often, especially with clients, like some clients have that aha moment where they're like, I just can't fucking do this anymore. I just can't live in this space where I'm spending all day and night thinking about food and thinking about my body and how food is affecting my body and how I'm going to move to make up for that food I ate. And what that what that really does is it just takes away from the time, energy, and resources that we have to then go out into the world and do the shit we actually care about. Mm-hmm. So I have some clients who have that like major light bulb moment. And then others, it's like, and I think I fall somewhere in between this camp, but it's more of just a very slow progression and a, and a, a new learning while also unlearning those behaviors and, and some of the mindsets that we have around food in our bodies. So I'm trying to think, I guess... I feel like I, you know what it was, was I was having crazy digestive digestive issues that my doctors couldn't figure out. I had this like, the best way to describe it was like someone took a belt and wrapped it around my like core, like right below my ribcage and was like pulling it tight. Mm. Like it was like mm. I, just this tightness and I couldn't figure it out. My doctors couldn't figure it out. They did all these different scans. I once ended up in the emergency room with this like crazy pain and fever mm. and Nobody knows anything. They thought it was my gallbladder. wasn't my gallbladder. You know, they thought it was so many different things, but they just couldn't figure it out. And what I, I don't know if this is true, but it's the only thing I, it's the only thing I can conclude is that I was so stressed all day long, every day about what I was eating. And even though I was eating food at that point, like I knew I had to go through a process of refeeding myself and, you know, Hindsight, I wish I had just gotten help for that. But, mm-hmm. you know, me being stubborn and thinking I have all the answers, mm-hmm. I just thought I could do it myself. So I was eating more, but it was still hyper restrictive of like what I was eating. So yeah. I was still vegan. And I was so stressed about my body and so stressed about the food I was putting in my body. And then now stressed because of these weird digestive issues that I didn't understand. And I think it was just my body's way of telling me to like let go yeah. and telling me to give myself permission to just like be and to listen to it. Um, I 100% believe that that is true because stress and your gut are so intricately connected. And I mean, your body will tell you all the signs. Like if you just learn to listen to it, I mean, and that was its sign for you. I I think your conclusion is correct. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think so because literally the day that I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to go zero to a hundred and like go from vegan to eating burgers all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But I just let myself have some eggs. Like, cause yeah. one of my good girlfriends said to me, she's like, you know what, Paul, maybe it's not something that's in your diet. Cause of course I was trying like, oh, maybe it's gluten, maybe it's right. sugar, maybe it's all these other things. She's like, maybe it's not something in your diet. Maybe it's just something missing. And I, I think it was that paired with the stress piece. Yeah. And then now, you know, kind of a few years later, I have met with a dietitian and lo and behold, protein was something I was lacking for so long Mm -hmm. that now I'm kind of having to eat more protein than what a quote normal person would need. Somebody who hasn't had a history of dieting and restricting because my body tapped into my muscle stores for protein instead. And so, yeah, I think all of this to say that what starts out as body image struggles and 
you know, like perfectionism and wanting to just kind of fit in can very quickly and sneakily also escalate into restriction and disordered eating. And I think, you know, Instagram is so awesome in one sense because we have all these like connections to people who are doing really cool stuff. And, you know, like I don't live in a big city and so it's cool to connect with people in that way and see what else is out there in the world and share experiences. But I think that there's also a lot of orthorexic stuff happening on Instagram. And so for me, it was so easy to kind of identify with what the wellness gurus are saying. And I'm using air quotes and what, what everybody in this like new Instagram health world was talking about and kind of guising my behaviors as, you know, this is normal because all these other people are doing it. It's fine. And, you know, so that made it even trickier to kind of identify like, oh, this isn't normal anymore. This is actually taking a big toll, both on my my physical health, but super toll on my mental health. Mm -hmm. So someone that may be going through or has, you know, is experiencing disordered eating, what does, when we look at recovery, what does that look like? And is it, Because I've always, I will be frank, I had a lot of disordered eating issues and I just, what I got distracted in mind. So I started, I had got my first like very serious boyfriend and then all my attention was on like boyfriend and I feel better about myself because someone decided to date me. Mm. And so I like ignored a lot of those issues and I've had to spend a much longer time like kind of going back and revisiting all of those mental thoughts that I had going on in my head because they're not, they, they still aren't gone. So right. I'm curious what like recovery in your experience, in your clients looks like as someone works through that, what maybe the the ideal way would be to work through that. Yeah, so I think your point is so valid and it's important to note that like recovery doesn't always happen in the the traditional way that we think it does. Like oftentimes it takes us kind of going through these cyclical motions where we're like, oh, you know, I thought I needed help, but then I felt better, but now I'm also back at this place. It's kind of spiralic in nature. And I, I've heard spiralic is not a word, but I'm using it. I like it. it too. I like it. <laughs> I'm going to make it a word. Spiralic. <laughs> but so it is, it's kind of this, you know, cyclical process. So I think that that's totally okay. I think it's, so important, number one, is to just speak it and to release it in that way. When I first started talking to my... I think my mom was one of the first people I went to when I admitted to myself that like, this isn't normal. Like Your worries have been very warranted. So I talked to her one night, like very casually, like we're sitting watching a movie or something. And she was like, okay, like we can figure this out. We can get help, right? And so... I think speaking it or releasing it in that way or or confiding in somebody. And if you don't feel like you have somebody that you're close enough to, to have that safe conversation with, we're so lucky in that this stuff, you know, while it needs to be talked about more, it is starting to be talked about and there are a ton of professionals out there to help. So speaking it out loud and, and then figuring out, okay, what kind of support do I need? I think support looks so different for all of us. And like I said, this is kind of a spectrum of food and body weirdness. I think for those who are really struggling with what is 100% an eating disorder, which, you know, if you're wondering if you have an eating disorder, there's no clear black and white 
like, yes, this is an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is if you're skipping meals, if you're intentionally, you know, restricting foods, not eating whole food groups, not eating um, enough to satisfy your hunger, if you're Mm -hmm. finding yourself binging late at night, that's likely because you're just not getting enough during the day for whatever reason. Maybe it's unintentional restriction. If you're finding yourself out of touch with your hunger and satiety cues, that's usually a side effect of your body being in restriction for so long. If you're finding it really, really hard to eat what used to be a quote normal amount of food, that's often because of digestive complications that come from disordered eating. When we aren't when we're not getting enough, our metabolisms slow down, right? We know if we eat more food, our metabolisms speed up. So if we don't get enough, they slow down and our digestion then slows down. And it becomes and you know, there's still so much science being done about like gut health and you know how that is impacted by our food habits. But when we're not eating enough in general, our whole system is thrown off. And so the pH balance in there is thrown off. Our enzymes are thrown off. Our hormones are thrown off. So we're not really quite able to digest food once, like we once were, which makes it even then harder to eat, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. experiencing some of these things, that's definitely a a sign you might want to reach out to a dietitian and not just any dietitian, but a dietitian who has experience in eating disorder recovery or somebody who identifies as a health at every size professional or a weight inclusive professional. My my biggest pet peeve is the term weight management. Mm. I always tell my clients, you know, if I'm working with somebody virtually and I'm looking to help them find a dietitian near them, it. There's, it's called eatright.org. I have it saved as a bookmark. <laughs> um, but you can go on there and you can find dietitians. You have to kind of scroll through and you can mark like, I want somebody who has experience in eating disorder recovery. But then scroll through their like kind of terms that they say that is their expertise. Mm-hmm. And I always just steer clear of people who list weight management or mm-hmm. weight loss because the truth is, and we can get into this more as we kind of talk about health at every size, but the truth is at this point in time, we just have no evidence, at least evidence that stands on its own two feet to support that weight loss or weight maintenance is in benefit of our health. Most of the research that we do have actually points to the opposite of that, that intentional weight loss and intentional monitoring of weight or weight maintenance is actually worse for our health, for our health because mm-hmm. it was it ends up resulting in these disordered behaviors and this disordered mentality around food. Something and then I was I was just going to say and then eventually leads you back to a lot of times gaining a lot of the weight back so you've just right. completely undone everything that you were working towards doing with that restriction. Right. And you're still most of the time not any happier and I can attest to that mm-hmm. nor are you any healthier. So it's kind of, you know, having again to really get clear and honest about like what's my intention here? Why is if I'm worried about weight, why is that so important to me? And right. how can I peel back all the layers that diet culture has told me about what it means to be healthy, about what it means to be attractive, about what it means to be happy. So kind of turning, going back to the, you know, what are those, those ideal steps of recovery? I think traditionally, if you are, if we're talking about a treatment team, having a psychotherapist is always important. Having a dietitian again, who's trained in eating disorder recovery or somebody who at least understands health at every size and is familiar with the principles of intuitive eating is really helpful. And then, I mean, there are more and more recovery coaches out there. I think if you, if you're somebody who doesn't really identify with having some of those like more clinical symptoms of disordered eating or eating disorder, then maybe working with a coach 
is you know enough for you alongside of you know maybe just checking in with a dietitian to make sure everything's good there i think coaching not to toot my own horn to- coaching is offers a lot of accountability and yeah. support that a normal therapist just can't offer you because they don't have time for that and be hella expensive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of blending, like working with a professional, like a dietitian and a therapist and a doctor alongside of a health coach because health coaches like, I feel like it's just like masters of habit change. Like they're there to be by your side. They're there to coach you through. And yes, like we have a ton of knowledge. And, but at the same time, you always want to have like, especially like you said, when you're working, when you're dealing with these more like clinical issues, you want to have somebody that's licensed in that area as well, because Mm -hmm. there are a ton of things going on that we just, like coaches don't have a degree for. They don't learn for four years, you know, however long these doctors go to school for. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate of pairing the two. Yeah. And I think it's, especially in eating disorder recovery, it's a non-negotiable. You know, I, everybody, I recently did a podcast interview and I was asked about, you know, what's your, what's your shtick with self-healing? Like, why is she, the question was like, why don't you think we can do that? And it's not that I don't think we can do that, you know, for me, I think for all of us, whatever we're trying to heal from, the mid, the vast majority of the work is done on our own time. It has to be. That's the only way it's mm-hmm. going to be integrated in work. But that being said, it's important when you're dealing with like physical clinical issues to work with a doctor, somebody who is trained, who can monitor yeah. things and make sure that like those symptoms you're experiencing aren't, you know, larger signs that you're having heart issues because yeah. of your habits or that your digestive system isn't that you're not experiencing a severe case of gastroparesis or, you know, whatever that might be. So it is, it's so important to, yes, you can self-heal and you can be really proactive in your own recovery, but coming from somebody who did that and then sought the help of dietitians and therapy, I wish I had done it all at the same time Mm -hmm. because yeah, it just sort of kind of sped things up. But outside of that, if you're like, okay, I'm, I'll see if I'll, seek out my treatment team. I'll try to get the ball rolling on that. Mm-hmm. I think starting then to examine uh, your relationship with your body is really important. And there's so many awesome people out there who are bloggers and writers. Sonia Renee Taylor is awesome. She wrote the book, uh, The Body is Not an Apology. Mm. And that's just a beautiful place to start with making peace with our bodies. I to, love that title. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so profound. And mm-hmm. she's just awesome. But so starting to kind of immerse yourself in what is available. There's so much um, as far as literature and just like really inspirational people who are, yes, still involved in like, you know, health as far as they're not telling you to just like throw everything out the window and sit and eat pizza all day and Mm -hmm. like forego nutrition. What they're, what they're telling us is, um, and I'm right there too, is, you know, we can seek to nourish ourselves and to take care of our health, but it shouldn't feel obsessive. It shouldn't take away from the time and energy that we spend doing other things in our lives. And it shouldn't feel like a chore and it definitely shouldn't feel like it's bringing you out of alignment with yourself. It should feel very, health should feel intuitive Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. I kind of want to dive into that concept for a little bit because I think that that's something that I I feel like I kind of struggle with sometimes. And I know a lot of other women struggle with in that like, I'm, how can I also have goals for myself and 
like want to maybe look a certain way. Like maybe I want to look a certain way because I feel really good when I look that way. You know, like I, um, it's not necessarily, I don't know. Like when I, when I am at this goal weight or maybe you don't want to use weight, but this, when I feel a certain way, I enjoy my life. I like how I'm going about things and like how to know when that's, healthy and when that's not healthy. Does that make sense? Like how to pursue goals? Is it just basically what you said? Like when it doesn't interfere with your life, when you are not restricting, that's when you know you're sort of on the right track? Because I don't know about you, Liz, but sometimes I'm like, how do I know if it's a goal that's a positive goal or if it's dipping into an unhealthy area? Mm. And that's such a good question. I think what we have to remember is that, you know, you are the only expert of your body only, and, and of your soul, like only you are going to be able to be totally honest about what is my intention here. And that's always a question I come back to for myself as well as with my clients of like, it's awesome that you want to do this workout, but I urge you to get honest with yourself. Is it because you feel you have to, Mm -hmm. is it because you feel if you don't, you're going to like slide down the slippery slope into gaining all this weight and being a couch potato or is it because you genuinely like wanted to move your body and feel free in and your feel body? feel strong and, mm-hmm. you know, right. yeah, exactly. So just getting honest about intention is number one. I think, you know, it's so interesting what you brought up about wanting to feel and look a certain way in your body. I think that you're, there's such a fine line there, right? Like I totally get what you're saying about like when I feel a certain way, I feel better. I feel like I'm able to kind of just like move through my day in more alignment with myself. Mm -hmm. But I think what that comes from is just living in alignment in general. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I always use values as like a starting place with um, clients and and with everything, basically, values are so important to just kind of know and get familiar with. So if I, if one of my biggest values is simplicity, I don't need 800 different superfood powders in my smoothie in the morning right? Mm -hmm. If one of my values is simplicity, I probably don't need to like have a soul cycle membership. I can probably just like take my dog out in nature and slow down and like maybe do a run walk with her when we get little bursts of energy, right? So it's, it's, I think it's so important to kind of get familiar with what is important to you. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so simple, But when we, at the end of the day, if we can narrow down like our top three to five values and then ask ourselves, like, how are we spending our time and chunk all that down and say, okay, well, is this in alignment with those three values? Is this in alignment with those Mm -hmm. three values? If it kind of is, but it could be more, well, that's a great place to start. You know, so it's, let's just go back to the soul cycle thing. And I don't even know why I brought that up (laughs) because I never soul cycled, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but we're going with it. So, okay. So if soul cycle isn't super in alignment with my simplicity thing, but I truly love that I can just like go and like tune out and like move my body in this very cyclical way. Like I'm kind of in, in one space too. So one might argue that's simple, but if I wanted to get a little closer to that simplicity, could I just like get a bike or maybe use the bike that I own and Mm -hmm you know, travel different places with Mm -hmm. it and see nature. Or maybe I already ride my bike elsewhere. Can I just do, can I think, can I reframe what is quote exercised to say, oh, well, like I'm just going to ride my bike to work today. And that feels really good and nourishing and kind of kills two birds with one stone, right? So it's almost 
making sure that what you're choosing is like truly, truly aligning to what you value. Yes. And And at your core, like what's in your core. Yeah. And when you're doing that, you're going to feel so much more in alignment in general, just in life. And it's so much easier to feel at home in our bodies when we're in alignment with the rest of the stuff in our lives. I was going to say, that makes me think now I'm almost like answering my own question a little bit because- Look, she's coaching you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like Liz, back when we, remember how we always talk about that like prime in our life when we were like- We need to stop calling it the prime. Because it wasn't. Because we were were doing it. Right. I mean, I I felt great. But I felt we like- We worked out for like hours a day. We also worked out because we were shaming our bodies. Like at that point in our lives. I were lives. on my fitness pal. Oh and- yeah. And we were counting calories and blah, 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 blah. And I remember like being at the pool and drinking a margarita and then like needing to run because I needed to burn off the calories of the margarita. Mm-hmm. And I did like how I looked at that point. But at the same time, like, so that's where, that's that side of it. And now I have, the reason I asked is because I do have a goal for myself where I want to slim down and like feel strong in my body again, especially with summer coming. And I've been struggling with this because I'm very much getting into this whole concept of intuitive eating and like not wanting to restrict. And I was like, but when I think about it, I did yoga before I came here. And I felt so strong and I felt so good. And it wasn't like I wasn't punishing my body in any way. And I'm not like forcing myself to go on a run. But if I wanted to go on a run, I would. But it's not like I so I think when you think about it, like that is aligning to my values now and that I want to feel strong, but I'm choosing things that make me feel good and not shaming my body in any way. But I love that that (laughs) explanation. And I think I'm going to steal it and just like, let's write down some of your values and like where you feel most aligned. And let's see if these food choices and these exercise choices match that. That's a great place to start. Well, and I think something too that's important to know is when talking about how we feel in our bodies, it's important to notice the language we use, right? Like, so strong, that's a very like, we can we can conceptualize that. We know what it feels like to feel strong, right? But what does it feel like to feel slim? Mm. I don't, I don't think it feels like anything. I think it's a, a concept that diet culture has taught us. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. When it's Do like, you know what it feels like? <laughs> It feels hungry. When I I think of the times that I have like felt slim and I've lost a lot of weight and my stomach was very flat, it was also very wanting to eat food. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like gurgly Mm -hmm. stomach. Mm -hmm. I like like words like strong and proud and confident and like cozy. I like words like that that just make you feel good. But you're right. Slim makes me think of like a special K bar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like starving yourself with a special K bar. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, we have to call into question, like, so then the opposite end of the spectrum of like, what does it mean to feel fat? That's not really a feeling. What that might be is a discomfort based on all of the stigma that our culture places on people who live in larger bodies. That's a valid feeling. I feel marginalized. Mm -hmm. That's totally valid. But losing weight most of the time isn't going to help that feeling at the core of it. And it's likely going to do some bigger damage, both physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's important to kind of get honest, like, how do I actually feel? And is that a fact in the sense that like, is it real? Is feeling fat real? I think that there's, we can go deeper than that, mm-hmm. right? Like feeling fat, fat is feeling uncomfortable. That. That's how I would describe when I have felt fat. I feel like He- like uncomfortable and heavy and like not comfortable in my own body, like physically 
Because I still say yeah. those words sometimes. I mean, and Liz, you still say those words too. I do. Like where we'll be like, oh, I feel fat. Like why? I shouldn't be saying that anymore. And now I feel like I say it where I'm not even, I'm like joking about it in a way. It's like, oh, I just feel so fat. Why am I doing that? Like where did that come from? Like, you know, like where did I ever acquire that wording? Brainwashing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what I think I'm trying to say is it- I feel uncomfortable. Right. Well, and and part of it too is like when we say, I feel fat, it's a super easy way to just like slap a negative connotation on the word fat, right? Mm -hmm. Like fat isn't inherently good or bad. It just is. It's like, I feel bony. Like that's not something you would say, right? So it's, it's so interesting. I think the body absolutely can feel heavy if we are feeling like we've gained a lot of weight in, you know, a short amount of time, the body can feel heavy. The body can feel run down if we're not mm-hmm. using it, if we're not feeding it enough. And, you know, so those feelings are valid, but then what we do when we, when we start to recognize, okay, I don't feel fat. I feel exhausted or I feel yeah. just like lethargic. What can I do to solve that then? Mm-hmm. The answer is not lose weight. The answer of, okay, I feel, I feel like I'm just kind of heavy in my body. Well, can I then get up and just move in ways that feel good or yep. find other things? Often the body holds onto emotions and holds onto our experiences and internalizes them and creates blockages. And we can get super woo-woo and talk about chakras if we want. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, when chakras. we... What was that? I love the chakras. <laughs> Reiki has helped me release and, and align my chakras. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so what happens is if we feel, you know, if we've experienced something, some kind of grief or sadness or just like, you know, not feeling our feelings is often what causes those blockages. So if we've been kind of pushing off that grief and just saying, I feel fat, instead of getting to the root of it of, I feel really sad in my life right now, or mm-hmm. I feel unfulfilled, or I feel, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. Maybe I turn to food mm-hmm. for that, right? So it's so layered and it's so. It's almost like um, the chicken or the egg thing a little bit. Right. Yeah. We so often want to just say, I feel fat, I should lose weight, then I'll feel better. But most of the time, that's not the, it's not at the root of the issue. Most right. of the time, the issue is, oh, like I spend 10 hours a day at my desk and I don't get the opportunity to get up. And then I get home and I feel exhausted. So I then feel guilty about not wanting to work out because I'm just so tired. Right. So it's almost, and you know this, you're a health coach. It's like we have to examine what are all those other factors yeah. that are a part of our life. Cause I guarantee you the majority of the time, it's not about the weight. Mm-hmm. Of That being said, we are so awful to people who live in larger bodies mm-hmm. in the society. So anybody listening to this, who's experiencing that stigma and that marginalization, like those feelings are so valid because like, if we think about the words, the war on obesity, mm. that's like literally declaring war on, on people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a form of genocide and it's just not fair. Mm. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people who are listening to this, who aren't familiar with this conversation and this kind of rhetoric around being able to be healthy at any size, what we have to start to recognize is that it's totally possible to be healthy at any size, at every size. What we also have to realize is that fatness or living in a larger body is 70% of the time due to genetic disposition. Mm -hmm. So there's something that I read um, because I'm like, I've been kind of picking apart uh, health at every size, like little by little. 
And there's something that's really stuck with me that I've read so far. And it's, and it's about like our set point. And it almost made me feel when I read about that, like a sense of relief, because I am very much an advocate on the body is so incredibly smart. The body knows exactly what it needs to do. And your body is has been designed to work the way that it needs to work for you. And I have friends that are stick skinny and, you know, that's their genetic makeup. And then there's like a, my genetic makeup and there's other people. What did we say earlier? What did we call it? The Irish background. Oh, hearty. Hearty, yeah. <laughs> hearty <laughs> stock. Yeah, it's like... And like, I'm Italian and European, you know, like we all have different body types. And when I read that, I was like, you know, your body's going to settle at the weight that works for you. And so I think like if you're feeling that there is weight to be lost or whatever, it's all those factors. Like maybe you're just not taking care of your body in the way that it needs to be taken care of, like moving or eating food that feels good for you. But just because you don't look like somebody else, that doesn't mean that your body isn't, if it's at its set point, it doesn't mean that it's not healthy. It's just right. so hard for us because there's models on TV and everything that we've heard growing up. And Well, you can see, I think when people make snap judgments about people who we'd label as quote unquote fat, you're, it's so easy to make that judgment because all we're seeing is an exterior body and we can't, we don't have the x-ray vision to look in and see and get in like a microscopic level and see what's going on in the inside of each individual person. It's just, we've, and I think you mentioned this earlier, our society has just said like fat, unhealthy, skinny, healthy. And so we just, people are always on a sliding scale and we're constantly comparing to people that we see either in the media or other people that are going through disordered eating and making their bodies something that are not natural to what they should be. Mm-hmm. And doctors, a lot of times, doctors will just say, um, you just need to lose yeah. some weight. And I've, like, as we get older and our, my parents get older, my aunts and uncles get older, that's something I hear a lot about is that, oh, I, I just need to lose weight. Or my doctor tells me I, lead, I need to lose weight. I know I need to lose weight. Like, I think that's so har- that's so harming just to tell people you need to lose weight because they, that, there's so much more to it than just needing to lose weight. Well, and that's, that's exactly right. Like, again, kind of coming back to some of the stigma and the marginalization that people in fat bodies face, like they walk into the doctor's office and the first thing they the doctor says to them without even looking at their chart, looking Mm. at their blood levels, listening to what they're there for is usually, oh, I've seen you, I've seen you've gained weight or you haven't lost weight. Let's like, let's make that a priority. And the thing that's so important to emphasize here, because I I can imagine some people are listening to that and being like, yeah, it is a priority. If they want to get healthy, they have to lose weight. What we have to recognize is that Weight is not causally related to health. And I steal this reference from Linda Bacon, who's the author of Health at Every Size, mm-hmm. but I always use it when I'm talking to, when I'm doing a presentation or talking to like students about health at every size. So she uses this analogy with cigarettes and smokers and lung cancer. And so uh, here, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm going to try my best. So she always says that, you know, you might look at a smoker and they might have yellow teeth and they might maybe that person develops lung cancer somewhere down the line. But you wouldn't look at them and say, oh, their yellow teeth caused their lung cancer. That Hmm. doesn't make any sense. We don't have any science to prove that. Mm -hmm. The yellow teeth are merely a symptom of having smoked and 
the cancer might also be a symptom or uh, you know a, a reaction to having smoked for X amount of years. It could also be genetic disposition, disposition, right? Like it could have been something in their genes that they were more susceptible to those cancer cells. So there's so many factors. It would be so unfair to say, well, that person has yellow teeth. They're, that's why they have cancer. Mm-hmm. But we make the same correlation with weight and health. We say, oh, well, that person's fat. That's why they're unhealthy. Yeah. So in order to get healthy, they need to lose weight. But what's behind? What's behind the weight? It's the same thing. There is no evidence to support that, you know, living at a higher weight is the cause of health issues like um, heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. That being said, oftentimes those exactly it, like those behaviors around food, the the stigma oftentimes, like there's so much research coming out about the stigma that people are facing, uh, not just people who live in larger bodies, but also people of color, people who don't have a lot of money and resources, they're often stigmatized. So they don't get the healthcare that they need to take better care of themselves because they're judged right when they walk in the door. And so there's all these different factors. It's so unfair and unethical to just say, this person needs to lose weight and then they'll get healthy. Mm -hmm. We just don't have the evidence to support it. And the evidence we do have actually goes to say the opposite of when people intentionally try to lose weight because what ends up happening is restriction, restriction, it cause more harm to their body. Well, and I also think there's something to say. I don't think that people understand always what's chemically going on in your body, which we actually touched on this earlier with like working with a dietitian or um, a psychologist or something like that. There's a lot of things. Your body works, it's this system that works so well, but when we restrict or are eating things that aren't working for our body, like you didn't have enough protein or whatever, then things in your body are going to not work well as in you might be putting on more weight or you're not going to be in tune with your hunger signals or you might feel hungry all the time or you crave sugar or you're storing weight when you're not supposed to be. And like, that is not all of your, like, that's not your fault. That's because like, of course the dieting and all of these other and lifestyle factors have contributed to these imbalances. And so just saying to somebody, you need to lose weight, that's, that can be almost impossible when there's other things that need to be put into place. And that's why working with a coach and working with a doctor, working with people that'll help you get those things into place is helpful. But the average person doesn't know that. Like I didn't even know that until I got my health coaching certificate. So when you just say, go lose weight, like I just, it's going to be so, so damaging. It is. And, it, and then what happens is that person likely can't lose weight because the exactly. more we diet, the harder it is to, to lose weight. And then mm-hmm. either they lose the weight and then they gain it back eventually yep. because 95% of the time that's what happens. And so what happens then is they are you know feeling shamed and exactly. guilty and they internalize that shame. And it, it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy that just continues to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And often results then in either an eating disorder, disordered eating, or isolation, or total health complications. And so, yeah, it's 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 very pervasive, and it's a, it's a systemic issue, and it's so complex that the only everybody's always like, okay, so what's the answer? What mm-hmm. do we do? <laughs> the only thing I can say at this point is like, start with intuitive eating, yeah, because it is so well researched. And it is so articulate in that it offers so much advice in, in, a, in a way that is also 
it's digestible to anybody, right? Like it's not just for clinicians and it's not just for people who are in recovery. It's for literally everybody who just wants to get back to that quote, normal place with food and with their bodies. I do have a question because I hear a lot about like the body positivity movement. Is health at every size, are they like cousins? Are they, what's the relation between between body positivity and a health at every size practice or mindset? So I love that term, cousins. I think they are in a sense. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that because so many people who are involved in the health at every size movement know that you have to embrace all bodies. You have to start making space for people who live in in marginalized bodies in order to get to a place where health at every size is possible. And then on the body positivity end, I think it's important to know that body positivity is often co-opted by diet culture. Or like if you click on the body positive hashtag, you'll often see like before and after photos Mm -hmm. or like fitspiration. And that's not at all what body positivity is about. Body positivity was literally just a platform that was created for people who live in larger bodies, who live in marginalized bodies, who didn't have a platform, who just wanted a sense of community and safety and space that they could take up because we took space away from them. And so like I even, you know, I I try to be really leery about when I use the body positive hashtag. Like if I'm posting a picture of myself, I don't use that because mm-hmm. I don't live in a marginalized body. I don't know what that feels like. And to me, that feels like taking up space from somebody who deserves to, to take up that space and own that space on their own. So I put that out there. That was kind mm-hmm. of a rant. But I think it's I think that they do kind of operate together because they think, like I said, if you're involved in the health at every size movement, a big part of that is making peace with all different bodies. Mm -hmm. And then if maybe you don't really care about health, because that's okay too. I think it's important to note that like health does not pursuing health doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't like take away your, you know, right to like live on this planet if you don't really give a shit about your health, like that's fine. So if say you're just involved in the body positive movement, you don't really care about health. That's okay too, but it's it's still a space to nourish yourself mm-hmm. in an emotional well-being way, in a communal way. You're finding community with people, you're sharing your experience, and you're it's basically a form of self-care. So, you know, like I said, even if you're like not all about health or wellness or nutrition or any of that stuff, I would argue that it's still an act of self-care to make peace with your body. Yeah. And that's what the body positive movement's about. I love that. I do also agree that. I think it's unfortunate that the diet industry has snuck in and tried to look like it's mm-hmm. made all these changes. <laughs> because yeah. I actually was reading, I'm going to butcher the whole thing, so I'm not even going to try. It was an article about the new Amy Schumer movie where she like thinks she's hot when she, she like, I mean, she's not a big person in any world, but she like falls in soul cycle and thinks she like gets a concussion or something and thinks she's a supermodel. And then all these great things happen because she has all this confidence. And the, it was like an editorial in the New York times kind of about how diet culture has sort of co-opted these really positive things. Co-opted. That's not the word I wanted. It is, yeah. It is? Okay, it sounded weird when I said it. Um, (laughs) But they were kind of talking about how now it actually adds even, in many cases, more pressure to women because not only are we supposed to be thin, but we're supposed to be naturally thin and naturally beautiful and like effort, like our effortless 
accepting our bodies should also just be thin. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like it this does. whole natural beauty thing is supposed to be making us feel like we can be more ourselves, but like you still better be thin and look good without mm. makeup. <laughs> yeah, it's that's exactly it. And that exactly misses the point of body positivity in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's so like a lot of people who were like founders of the body positive movement are now shifting to other words like body acceptance or body liberation because it's just so cluttered up now with like, I think Special K did like a body positive uh. Campaign. Get out of here. And like, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I'm like, I'm like, You're like a, very mad at Special K today. <laughs> I hate Special K. So it's like Special K. I know. Probably because we had nothing but Special K bars. Yeah, like for like, my mom bought like <laughs> me a Special K cereal, and I feel like we thought like we always talk about our college days. I feel like Special K bars we, were a staple for they us. Were. They were. Yeah. And Diet Coke. Like those two things were my go-to diet. Mozzarella string cheese. Low-fat string cheese. Yeah, you got to get the low-fat ones. Oh, goodness. Gosh. Yeah. And yeah, it's so pervasive. It's so complex. But I think if we can just start, you know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say, start making peace with your body. But like I mentioned, I don't live in a marginalized body. So yes, I have my own set of experiences that were a struggle, but not nearly as much as, as so many of people on this planet face. So I think what's important to, to start to cultivate is this understanding that like we have so far to go, but we can start today. Mm-hmm. Like we can start to just notice the language we're using around our own bodies, around other bodies, notice the way we're talking to ourselves about food and how you know, just how we're treating ourselves. Like for me, one of the biggest turning points was when I was sitting in a room and I had like caught myself judging every single woman's body in that room and then comparing myself. And I was like, holy crap. Like I just missed out on this entire awesome conversation as well as now I just feel terrible about myself because I'm just sitting here judging. And so the act of trying not to judge other people's bodies became easier for me than trying not to judge my own. And then it was kind of like, you know, once I built up those muscles, it was easier to make peace with my own body. I love that because a lot of times you're right. It's hard when it's yourself because you've been talking down to yourself for so long. So put yourself in somebody else's like like choose to not do that with other we people we were just talking first. about that yesterday actually yeah and i was thinking about that with just like a fear like trying to get over my fears and sometimes i think it's hard for us to get over our own fears but it's like if you can imagine or like imagine yourself doing something that is fearless but imagine somebody else doing something that's fearless and then how they might feel and then you're able to like cultivate those feelings and then start to emulate them in your own body. But I mean, it's hard. I think that is the perfect way to start. It is. And actually, I'm going to share this. The client offered this to me the other day and I was like, I'm stealing this from you. But (laughs) she's a teacher. She used it with a student and they they were, she had a moment with a student where he kind of talked back to her. And so they sat down, just the two of them and created this little, you know, contract of the way that they were agreeing to speak to each other. Mm. And I was like, let's just do that to ourselves. Like, let's write a contract to ourselves of the ways that we're agreeing to speak to ourselves about our bodies, about our, you know, self-worth. And so, you know, writing down the list of like words I'm willing to use when I'm talking to myself about myself. Mm -hmm. So I, and, and the words I'm not willing to use, I'm not willing to use guilty or I'm not willing to use fat in a negative way. If I'm using it in a neutral way, fine. I'm not willing to use 
you know, any number of negative things that we say to ourselves all day long of, I should be smaller. I Mm -hmm. should look different. I should eat better, et cetera. To like make a contract with yourself and make it a little official. It sounds cheesy, but it's one of those cheesy little things that often is revolutionary to Mm -hmm. just like put it down on paper and start to recognize like, wow, I say a lot of these things to myself on the regular Mm -hmm. and the body hears that. Right. And I think once you start with that, like you start at least acknowledging the negative and trying to replace it, then you'll slowly begin to realize you stop having those negative thoughts as often and the positive thoughts will start to come more. And then before you know it, this whole like try to accept and love your body thing becomes more natural. Like it's not going to be perfect, but it's, yeah, it becomes more natural. And then at that point, I think that's when you can start taking the next steps. And then you start to become more in tune with your body. Then you start to hear what your body wants. Then you start to realize what your body needs. And for all, like for everybody listening, because I was thinking like, how do we wrap this up? Like, how do we end on a note that people can take? First of all, I don't want it to end. I know. But I guess it has to end. (laughs) No, I didn't mean like, how do we wrap this up? But I meant like in this whole- Bring it all together. Yeah, like in this whole conversation, like what is the practical tool that we can take with us? And I, I just think that that's the key. Yeah. Well, and something I I think you're exactly right. Something I always say is like, let's not try to take it from zero to a hundred, from body loathing to body loving. Let's Mm -hmm. just try to bring it back to neutral. So if I'm standing in front of the mirror and I'm like saying awful things about my body, I don't need to start saying, oh my God, I love you. You're so beautiful. You're the best body in the universe because that's going to feel fake and phony. But can you just bring it back to neutral? And I think the only way to start having, you know, start doing that is to create an awareness practice. And that was for me, one of the like pivotal moments of me starting to heal was sitting down and being mindful. And sometimes that looked like a meditation. Sometimes that looked like, you know, just a mind, like being very intentional and mindful. I was, while I was eating, not in an obsessive way, but just Mm -hmm. in a, Oh, this tastes good. I'm using all my senses. I'm trying not to scroll through Instagram while I'm eating, et cetera. Sometimes that looks like just doing the dishes and noticing all of those sensations, the warm water, the soapy, mm-hmm. you know, suds on your skin, the feel of the dishes as you wash them, et cetera. And that in and of itself is a meditation. And so what that does is it, it basically is like a skills building exercise. It's almost like you're strengthening those awareness muscles so that you then start to become aware of when those negative thoughts pop up. And even if you can't reverse them in that moment, that's okay. But can you bring it back to neutral to a place of non-judgment? And that's what meditation is all about is not necessarily clearing our minds totally, but watching our thoughts and just Mm -hmm. trying to be neutral about them and not judge them. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, hey, Mm -hmm. I want to have you talk a little bit about your coaching and your podcast, which everyone should listen to. Because it was, (laughs) I started listening to it and she was probably like, the end, like fall of last year. And I was like, this is great. You found I did. I was like, you'll love her. Yeah. yeah. So tell <laughs> us all the details. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the podcast. Um, the podcast is called Well and Weird. And I. it's funny if you go back and listen to like episode one or two compared to now, we're talking a lot more about healing and recovery and body acceptance, where in the beginning, that stuff was all important to me, but I felt like I hadn't stepped up and owned it yet. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's things that I was talking about was still really important to me. I'm course, like still really into health and still really into self-care and a lot of the things that we talked about. But it's really been this beautiful evolution of stepping into the 
new definition of health that I've created for myself. And so we talk, like I said, we talk a lot about intuitive eating, health at every size, body acceptance. Uh, I am one that has no fear about weaving spirituality into the work that I do um, because I think that it's a, like we just talked about that mindfulness piece. I think that it's such an important component of this process of being able to one, like really be in tune with yourself. And two, you know, for me, when I'm having a really bad body image day or I'm like having those weird old thoughts pop up, something that always works for me is to like look at the sky because mm-hmm. it always reminds me that at the end of the day, like all this stuff is so small compared to the universe that is surrounding me. Mm-hmm. And I think having a spiritual connection is a constant reminder of like, this, like these problems don't even matter. It There's helps so me realize that this isn't like, this isn't all of me. Like this little issue is just something I'm dealing with in this human body. And it, and it doesn't matter. Like it's just a learning exactly. thing. Right. And that's yeah. all. Yeah. That. When I think about that and I can imagine this bigger like piece of me, um, I always feel a sense of relief. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It's a huge relief. And so, yeah, we talk a lot about spirituality and some woo-woo stuff and some other like, you know, be, like I'm really into creating spaces that are healing. So we talk about minimalism and that kind of fun stuff. So podcast is awesome. And it's my favorite way to just like have conversations and be creative and mm-hmm. connect with new people and connect with the audience. And then, you know, outside of that, well, also very connected to that is my coaching work. So like I said, I'm a eating disorder recovery coach, but I really try to broaden that definition of recovery because I think that um, recovery is a scary word because if we're in recovery, we think that we're recovering from something that was quote wrong with us or that, you know, it was a failure of our own. So I really think, you know, I always kind of come back to that food and body weirdness stuff. Like you can be in recovery from food and body weirdness. You can be in recovery from perfectionism. You can be in recovery from, you know, explicit disordered eating behaviors. You can be in recovery from trauma that has had an impact on your relationship with food and body. So I think it's important to kind of tease out that definition a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I work in both a one-on-one capacity with uh, my clients and we really, you know, work on a lot of the stuff that we talked about today in regards to making peace with our bodies, in regards to being able to redefine health and work with what we have to pursue health. Because we don't have to lose weight. We don't have to change our bodies at all to start making health decisions if that's something that's important to us. So, and we talk a lot about self-care. Self-care, I believe, is the foundation for healing and recovery because if we're thinking about building a house, we need a solid foundation Mm -hmm. before we start putting up the walls and doing all those other important pieces. And self-care, I feel like, is that concrete foundation. If we have that solid foundation laid, then we can start to do all the other stuff that feels cool to us, that feels important to us um, because we're taken care of and we have our feet under our ground on, you know, solid ground at the end of the day. So yeah, that's, if you have an interest in working together, that's how you can connect with me there. If you want to learn like a very basic boiled down version of intuitive eating, I have a course that's available on demand called the food freedom formula, which is uh, five different audio lessons and like a 30 plus page workbook that I developed that um, is kind of my own take and spin on intuitive eating. And I incorporate a lot more of that spirituality and mindfulness as well as give you the basic building blocks to go on to like start doing this today and not feel like you have to read the 300 plus page book in order to begin. So yeah. nice. Awesome. And they can catch you on Instagram, right? Yes. And at your oh, blog. Yes. <laughs> I love, I mean, I'm not super active on any social media, but Instagram is probably the place I'm most active and that's at Holly Lowry CNY. 
Cool. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. I felt like it was so cozy and nice and I felt very safe talking about these yeah. topics. Yeah, it felt I felt like I needed it yeah. today. Aww. Yeah, definitely. Good. Good. Well, thank That's you guys awesome. for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm glad there were no tornadoes yes. that stopped our conversation <laughs> today. All right. Well, thanks again to Holly for coming on the podcast. Like we talked about, um, please check out her podcast, Well and Weird. Also, she mentioned a really great course that she has that kind of gives a 30,000 foot, like maybe beginner's guide to intuitive eating. So make sure you check that out. Also, if you're interested in her work as an eating disorder recovery coach, I am sure just through talking with her that she would be a wonderful, wonderful person to connect with if that is something that interests you. And as always, make sure to connect with us over on our Instagram at Wine and Shine Podcast and our Facebook group, The Wine and Shiners. And if you are loving the podcast, make sure to subscribe, give us a rating. And if you are so kind, head on over to our Patreon page and you can donate a couple of dollars if you would like to help support the podcast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode and we will catch you with some wonderful content next week. See you guys.